0: Lord, we pray this morning that as we look into your holy word, God, Lord, that you would help us to grow, to understand. Lord, we pray that as we look into your holy word, Lord, you would change our lives, oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And we have been studying about the life of David, and my series is entitled Fearless, living fearlessly for the Lord and being people after God's own heart. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And we know that God had anointed David when he was about 15 years old to be king, that God had a plan and a purpose for David's life. But God also knew that David had to mature in his leadership skills and so now God takes David on a journey of learning. God is fashioning and molding David into what God wants him to be so that David could be a servant leader. And David has to go from one trial to the next trial. And for 15 years, David is on the run from Saul. David is living from cave to cave. David is facing all kinds of situations in his life. And at at that time God is doing his best work in David's life but now we find ourselves that God is ready to change the page change the chapter in David's life. And the Bible tells us at the end of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, we find that God is about to bring judgment on to Saul and his family. And the Bible says that Saul goes against the people of uh, the Philistines. And as a result of that, Saul is killed. His three sons are killed. And now David is about to ascend to the throne. And the Bible says that God now places David in a place where the people of Israel, and Judah they come to David and they say David we want you to be our king. God is raising up David. The Bible says and David becomes king and as a result of that as David is king it says that David's David's throne and David's kingdom is really growing because the Lord is with David and the Lord is not with the house of Saul and as a result of that the house of Saul became weaker and weaker and David's house became stronger and stronger and the first thing that I can recognize in that is when God makes you a promise When God says that he's going to do something in your life, when God anoints you, when God fills you with his spirit, when God sets you apart, when God says, I've got a plan for your life, when God gives you a promise, I want you to know there's no demon in hell, there's no person on the earth that can come in the way of God's plan for your life. Come on, somebody else, say with me. Thank you, Lord, that God, you've got a plan for my life, and it's a big plan, hallelujah. And so now David is the king. After all of that adversity, David is the king. And David is sitting in his palace, and David remembers that David made a promise to Jonathan. If you remember, when David's on the run, Jonathan is his best friend, and Jonathan comes to David while he's in the cave. And the Bible says that Jonathan strengthens David in the Lord. And Jonathan says, David, you're going to be king. Now, remember who's saying that? Jonathan is Saul's son, he's second in line. If Saul dies, Jonathan becomes king. But Jonathan's not concerned about becoming king. Jonathan's concerned about doing the will of God. And so Jonathan says to David, David, I know the hand of the Lord is on your life. I know that there's an anointing on your life. I know that God has called you to be the king. And one day you're going to be the king and I'm going to be right next to you. And I want you to do one thing for me. As I leave this cave, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a promise with you. I want you to promise to me that you will remember my sons. You will remember my grandchildren. You will remember the house of Jonathan. And David says, I will and he makes a covenant with Jonathan, and the covenant is no matter what happens to Jonathan, no matter what happens to Saul, no matter what happens in David's life, David, when he becomes the king, he's gonna remember the promise he made to Jonathan, and he's gonna protect the household of Jonathan. I want you to know, as born-again Christians, as spirit-filled Christians, when we make a promise, we need to be promise keepers. Come on, somebody. That when we come up to this platform and we make a promise that we're going to love our children and show our children the things that God needs to show them in their life, that we're going to make it so that when we come on this platform and we give ourselves to each other in marriage, we're going to be faithful to that covenant. We need to be promise keepers. We need to make promise. And if you can't make a promise, don't make the promise. But once you make that promise, be a promise keeper. Come on, somebody. So David makes this promise to Jonathan, and now David is the king, and Jonathan actually gets killed in battle. I think the Lord took Jonathan home. Jonathan is a beautiful picture of the Lord. Jonathan is a beautiful picture of humility. Jonathan is a beautiful picture of empowering other people. But the Lord takes Jonathan home, and as a result of that now, David's in his palace, and David remembers that he made a promise. I want you to go with me now. The second Samuel chapter 9 verse 1, David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? There it is. Now, parents, look at me for a moment. I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit showed me something this morning. That it's our job to pray for our children. It's our job to to, to pray that God would bless our children. And it's really our job to go to God and say, God, you made me a promise. And what's the promise? The promise is as I get saved, as I know the Lord Jesus Christ, me and my household, they're gonna serve the Lord. My kids are gonna serve the Lord. And Lord, I'm holding on to that promise. I'm holding on to the promise, oh God, that my son, my daughter, they're gonna love God. They're gonna serve God. I remember that my mother, when I was in her womb, my mother told me that she would pray over me and she she would lay her hands on her own belly and she would say, this is my preacher. This is the guy that's going to be the man of God who's going to do great things for God. My, my mom had three boys but she said that about me. She said, you know what, I believe he's going to be a preacher one day and she prophetically proclaimed that and she held on to that and she prayed for me even when I was running away from God, even when I wasn't doing the right thing, even though it looked like I was the last thing I was going to be was a preacher. I was a Jonah on the run but my mother kept on praying My mother kept on fasting. My mother kept on believing that, God, you're going to do that for not only my son, not only my son, Stephen, but, Lord, you're going to save my son, Anthony. You're going to save my son, Frankie. You're going to save my daughter, and they're all going to be serving the Lord, and I'm glad to tell you today that we're all serving the Lord. Frankie's dancing in heaven today because he's with the Lord, but my brother, Anthony's a board member. My sister is a pastor's uh, uh, wife, and I'm a pastor. You see, I want you to know today that God will remember the things that he made a promise to you about you need to remind God say God you made a promise and hold on to the promise and listen one day God's going to say to your children I'm blessing you because of your father or your mother for your mother or your father say come on somebody let's believe God hallelujah I'm believing God for my children (laughs) glory to God But the Bible tells us that that now David asks of uh, his servants, is there someone that I can show kindness to in the house of Saul? And the Bible says there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king answered, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness to? Them? Not just kindness, but I want to show God's favor. I want to show God's has said to them. I want to show loving kindness, and I want to do it in the name of God. And notice Ziba's response. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan and he's lame in both feet. Now, I, I, that's a sad statement. What does it really matter whether he's lame or not? But you see, in those days and unfortunately in parts of the world, God forbid that should be the case in America. God forbid that sh- that should be the case in the house of the Lord. But there's some places around the world that if somebody's lame, they're considered worthless. I want to tell you something. People with no Needs. We call them special needs people. They're very special people. I'm going to tell you why they're very special people. Because special needs people bring out either the best in us or the worst in us. So man, i tell you what, there's some very special people in this world. And the truth is, people that are nice people, good people, loving people, kind people, people that love God. They're the kind of people that respond to special needs people with unconditional love. It brings out the best in us. And listen, if we're not so good, it brings the worst in us. Hey, let me tell you something. My wife is a special needs person. She's profoundly deaf. She reads lips. Now, let me tell you something. i tell you, my wife is an incredibly special person. She, she has, listen, we all have like some senses. She has like a thousand of them. She can see from the back of her head and she reminds me that all the time glory to God and she is so intelligent, she is so smart. I mean, she's raised three beautiful daughters, we got th- two granddaughters, and, and she does so much. You wouldn't even know that she was deaf when you were talking to her face to face, because she reads lips so good, right? And she is advanced, she is amazing, she's gone to college, she's gone to school, she's gone to, she's th- I mean, amazing all the things that my wife's accomplished in her life, right? And um, so, and, and to the, the, be honest with you, I, I love my wife no matter what. You know, I saw the beauty in her, amen? And, um, so, so the truth of the matter is, is, special needs people bring the best or the worst out in us. And so, but here Zeba says, "This is this young man, King David. He's lame in both feet. In other words, what he was saying is, he's worthless. He's useless." Uh, we, you might as well not even call him into the kingdom. Why? Because he lives far away. Where did he live? Listen to what, listen what the king says. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he's at the house of Micah, son of Emmael, in Lobar. You know what Lobar is in the Hebrew? Lobar means a place where nothing grows. In Hebrew, it means a place where there is no communication. Ziba is saying, David, he's so far away. He's on the other side of the tracks. He's at the place where nobody wants to go. He's in the really bad neighborhood. He's in a neighborhood that nothing grows. In fact, it's so far away that there's no cell phone tower where he is. There's no computers where he is. Why? Because it's a place of barrenness. Nothing grows where Mephibosheth lives. Nothing is communicated to him because nobody wants to go to that side of the town. So David, you're wasting your time. And David says, I want you to go get him. So David says, I want you to go to Labar, and I want you to go to the House of Makar, and I want you to tell Mephibosheth, son of David. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Everybody say it three times real fast. I dare you. Why are these difficult names? But he says, I want you to go get Mephibosheth. Now, The name Mephibosheth in Hebrew means to be shameful. To be shameful. And so David said, I want you to go to nowhere land and I want you to get what you call as shameful and I want you to bring them back to me. Notice what happens. So when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David, he bowed down and paid homage to David, or honor to David. Now this is really important. Can you imagine for a moment what Mephibosheth must have been feeling? You see, in those days, when a king takes over a kingdom, he makes sure that he executes all of the, the king that was deposed, all of his sons, all of his family, all of his ancestors. Why? Because he's not going to take any chances. He's going to kill the king, and then he's going to kill his sons, and he's going to kill his grandsons. He's going to wipe them all out, lest they come back and try to kill him. And so Mephibosheth, he understands. He understands a few things. He understands that he's of the line of Saul. He's a grandson of Saul. He also understands that Saul really mistreated David. In fact, Saul was trying to kill David for 15 years. And so Mephibosheth thinking to himself, number one, David's king now. Number two, David has all the right to kill me. Number three, Saul treated me really, really, or treated him really, really bad. And so, he's probably going to take all of his vengeance, all of his anger, all of his justification out on me. So, while he's going to the palace, he's thinking to himself, today I'm going to die. Today's the day that I'm going to be executed. But he gets to the palace. Notice what happens when he gets to the palace. The Bible says he falls at the feet of David. I, I could imagine when he gets to the palace, the palace guards say, who are you? And he says, I'm, 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 I'm Mephibosheth. And the guards say, oh, you're Mephibosheth. Come right on him. And the attendants say, who are you? I'm, 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 today I'm going I'm to, oh, you, you're, okay, let me, let, 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 take a shower. And we got some really beautiful clothes for you. And they put on royal clothes on Mephibosheth and they brought him into the presence of King David. And when he comes into the the presence of King David, he bows before him as if to say, Please, David, spare my life. And the Bible says, Look what the Bible says that King David does. This is beautiful. And the Bible says, at that moment, David says to Mephibosheth, Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness has said in the Hebrew. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore. Everybody say restore. Everybody say I will show kindness. Say I will restore. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at My table. Oh my goodness. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I mean, he didn't believe in himself. Nobody believed in him. He believed that he was just a a dead dog. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for and mephibosheth grandson your uh, and mephibosheth grandson of your master will always eat at my table Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always, everybody say always. always, he always ate at the king's table, and yet he was lame in both feet. Wow. This is an amazing story. See, This story is actually tucked in the pages of the Old Testament. It's tucked between stories of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's stuck in between the stories of kings slaughtering other kings and their children. It's tucked away in the Old Testament where if you did something wrong, you were struck dead by God. It's tucked in the old testament where it was the law, and the law was 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 everything to everyone, and, and you were held by the law, and yet this story is really a story, a beautiful story of grace. It's really an illustration of what God does for us all the time. That God He sees us in a different way. That God remembers his covenant that he made with His Son. This is a powerful story because it's a reflection of Christ and who we are. You see, Mephibosheth, he lived in the land of nothing. He lived in the land of no communication and no growth. There was nothing good that came out of that land. And he was simply trying to stay alive. He was just trying to get as far as he could away from David so that he could stay alive. And the truth is, Mephibosheth was actually born to be a king. He was born to be royalty. He should have been the next to the throne, but instead, because somebody dropped him, have you ever been shortchanged in life? Because somebody dropped him. Now, what's the story of Mephibosheth? We find that in Samuel, where the Bible says when he was five years old, he was in the house, and news came back to uh, actually to those that were over him. The, the servants came and, and told him and, and his relatives that, that actually Saul is dead. Ishbosheth is dead. And now David's coming after you. And so the Bible says in her haste, the servant who was taking care of Mephibosheth, picked him up. He was five years old, cause, so you think he could run, but she was in such haste, such hurry, that she started running so fast that she dropped him. He must have fell down a, a, a hill or whatever it is, and he broke both of his ankles, and because they were on the run, and they were trying to get away from David, they were so fearful, they were trying to get as far as they can, they didn't even take care of him, and now he's raised as a man, but he's crippled in both feet. He's in this wasteland, and he's just thinking, I'm an enemy of the king, and I deserve to be put to death, and I'm just trying to stay alive, stay alive. No, I'm just kidding. That just came over me. But, but David wants to know, is there, is there someone that's been born a king, that's now been dropped, who deserves death, so that I can show kindness to him and so David does the absolute opposite of what you'd think instead of killing Mephibosheth instead of punishing Mephibosheth and taking his anger out on him because he's really his sworn enemy he gives him grace instead of judgment he gives him mercy instead of punishment he gives him love instead of vengeance wow and friends, I want to tell you today that the, the truth is, and, 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 and if we could really understand this, if we could really absorb this, if we could un- comprehend this with our heart and our mind, that before we came to know Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that we were object of God's wrath. We were objects of God's wrath. Why is that so? The Bible says we were separated from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation from God. The Bible says that if any man's name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he will be cast into the lake of fire into hell. Listen to me. Look at me. This preacher still believes in hell. The Bible's filled with places where there is a real hell. Now you might say, why is there a hell? Because the Bible tells us that when we sin against the perfect God, God, because he's just, demands a perfect payment. Now you might say, why is God so wrathful? No, 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 no. God is filled with love, for God so loved the world. But God is also a just God. Listen to me. When we sin against a perfect God, it demands justice. You might say, I've never sinned before. Have you ever lied before? Have you ever wanted to lie before? The Bible says don't even want to do it. When we break the Ten Commandments, we're disobeying a holy thrice holy just righteous God and when we sin against the righteous God we need to make up for our sin but we can't make up for our sin why because we're not perfect nobody's perfect anything we try to do we can't work for it we can't be religious enough for it we can't pay for it there's nothing we can give back to God to make up for our sin and so God is a just God and because he's a just God he must demand payment he must demand that somebody pays for our sin And that's where the love of God comes in. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where God said, I want to show kindness to someone. I'm still looking. God is still looking. He's looking in the balcony. He's looking on the main floor. He's looking in the overflow. He's even looking through live stream today. He's looking for somebody to show kindness to. And listen to me, 2,000 years ago, he sent his servant, Jesus Christ, and he came down to this earth, and he said to you, and he said to me, And he says to the whole world, for God so loved the world that he sent his servant, hallelujah, to come down to this world. And he died on an old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. And he shed his perfect spotless blood. He's God the son and the son of God. And when he died on the cross, he he paid for you so that you might have all your sins wiped away and made clean so that you can come into the presence of God Almighty. Come on, somebody say amen. Glory to God. That's the gospel. That's what David did for Mephibosheth. He showed kindness instead of judgment. What does this have to do with us? Everything, everything. Because this story is actually about us. Because every one of us in this room are Mephibosheth. We are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we deserve God's wrath but instead through Jesus Christ we receive God's kindness like mephibosheth we were considered outcast spiritually lame spiritually disabled spiritually even incapable of walking on our own spiritually and we deserve death but Jesus said is there still anyone in this room that I can show kindness to god wants to show you kindness this afternoon. You see, the truth is we were all living in the land of no bread, no food, no spiritual nourishment, and no communication with God. It was cut off because of our sin. But God sent his servant, and Jesus now says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man would open the door, I will come in, and I will sit down at the table, and I will fellowship with them. So I see three things that God does in our lives when we come into his palace and we recognize that we're Mephibosheth. See, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, broken. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for broken people. He's looking for the lame. In fact, Jesus said, when you go out, invite everyone back to the palace, but when you go invite people, invite the lame, the poor, the poor in spirit, the humble, the broken. You know what a humble man is? A humble woman is one who recognized that we can't be good enough. We can't be spiritual enough. We can't be religious enough for God to accept us. See, that's the beauty of Christianity. It's the only faith. It's the only religion that says we can't make it to God on our own. So God came down and rescued us from ourself and our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I see three things that God does when we recognize that we're Mephibosheth and Jesus is that David that wants to show us kindness. The first thing is God wants to pour out on us grace. Grace is not just to get us into heaven. Grace is so that we get to sit at his table on a daily basis. You see, the truth is, God came after us. We didn't come after him. David told Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I called you here because I want to show you God's kindness. Now, the word kindness is a very powerful word. In fact, David said, I celebrate. If you look in the Psalms, he constantly celebrates, listen to me, the loving kindness of the Lord. He said, I bless the Lord, O my soul, because of his loving kindness. The word loving kindness in Hebrew is hased. And the word said actually means unconditional love, unconditional mercy, unconditional grace. It means amazing love, incredible mercy, absolute grace, and undeserved kindness. It it actually wraps up all the positive attributes of God. said is one of the Lord's most treasured characteristics. said is a quality that moves someone to act for the benefit of someone else even though they don't deserve it. It's agape love. Listen to me. Because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, God the Father now wants to pour out to you, instead of his wrath, he wants to pour out to you all of his blessing. Wow. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter one, verse three. Listen to what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy, everybody say mercy. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you really understand this afternoon how great is the mercy of God? Someone once said justice is for those who deserve it, mercy is for those who don't. God is more willing to pardon than to punish, and mercy does more, to multiply in him That sin in us, mercy is in his nature. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, said this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space to the narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. Mercy. We deserve death. God gives us mercy through his son. Mercy. We deserve to be cast out and God welcomes us to sit at his table. We deserve justice and judgment, and God gives us mercy. Oh, the mercy of God. Too lofty to comprehend, too powerful to resist, too wonderful to ignore. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God the Father wants to pour out on all of us his loving kindness, not just his mercy, but his loving kindness as the scripture says, oh, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Ephesians chapter 3 says that, that Paul's prayer was that, that we would be rooted and established in God's unconditional loving kindness. And that we might have all, with all the saints the power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses all understanding that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God, which is God's loving kindness, his agape love. He wants to pour upon you all the grace that you need. What is grace? Grace is God giving you what you need when you, don't, when you need it, even though you don't deserve it. God has given us today all that we need, even though we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be blessed by God. We deserve to be cursed by God, but he gives us blessing. We don't deserve to live in the blessings of God. We don't deserve to have healing in our body we don't deserve to have peace and joy and prosperity in our life and yet God gives us all of that not because of what we have done but because of his grace for the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God lest no man could ever boast hallelujah oh the grace of God two men living total opposite spectrums of grace One man, his name was Martin Luther. He was a priest. He was a Catholic priest. And man, he was so tormented by his his sinfulness or his sense of sinfulness in his life, yet he practiced his religion every single day. In fact, he wanted to be so forgiven of God, he wanted to feel the peace of the forgiveness of God, the grace of God in his life, but he could not. He was haunted with a sense of sinfulness in his life that he literally walked on his knees until they bled. He did everything he could possibly do to make himself feel clean again. And one day as he was reading Romans chapter one, Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who live by the power of God, those that receive the grace of God. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those that believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. For those that would live by faith, they must live by grace, for the righteous shall live by faith and grace alone. And he fell on his knees and he began to worship the Lord and he began to realize that you cannot earn it, you can't work for it. All you can do is receive the wonderful grace of God. said the loving kindness of God in our life. There was another man. He was living on the other side of the spectrum of grace. And he was a slave trader. And he would take people, human beings, and he would mistreat them. And he would take them all the way from Africa to the Americas. And he would have them exported and imported as slaves. And one day he recognized how utterly sinful he was. He, he, he recognized that he was a drunk. He recognized that he was a person. He recognized that he was so lost and so far away from God that the only thing he could do is throw himself at the mercy of the king. And then he read uh, Romans chapter 1. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet it is. Hallelujah. I was once blind, but now I can see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. What a wretched man I was. But thank God, by the grace of God, I am who I am. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory. It's to a God today I want to tell you it's only by grace and God wants to pour out his grace upon you today no matter where you've been no matter what you've done no matter where you are today God wants to pour grace on your life and grace is God giving you what you need even though you don't deserve it glory to God it's favor with God you may say I've failed too much Pastor Steve you don't know my past I don't know your past but I know my God, and he loves you, and he wants to pour his grace on you. Grace is not just to get you into heaven, but it's to keep you every day living in the awesome power of the Spirit. Secondly, notice what David said. Mephibosheth, not only am I going to pardon you or give you grace, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore all the land that your grandfather Saul had. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to tell you something, because now you sit at the table of the Lord and you're a child of God, God wants to restore you. He wants to restore what the devil stole from you. He wants to restore what you have given up in your sinful ways. He even wants to restore what your parents took from you, whatever it may be. God is a restoring God. I want you to listen to what God says to the people of Israel. They had sinned. They had been far away from God. They were now carted away into Babylon. They were there for 70 years, and they lost hope that they could ever be restored. They lost hope that they could ever have joy. They lost hope that they could ever have the peace of God. They lost joy that they could ever walk into the temple of God and worship God again. And God said to the people of Israel, I will repay you for the years the locust has eaten the great locust the young locust I will restore back to you all that your enemy has taken from you come on somebody God is always looking to restore somebody he said instead of your shame you will receive a double portion Instead of disgrace, you will receive rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion of your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. God said through the prophet of Jeremiah, While the people are still living in Babylon, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 30, but I will restore you to health and heal all your wounds. This afternoon, maybe you feel like you've lost something precious because of your sin. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's opportunity. Maybe it's peace and joy. Maybe it's a relationship. God's saying to you this afternoon, come to me right now. Turn to me right now, and I'll restore what the devil has stolen from you. Thirdly, I love this. God says, And I invite you now to sit at my table forever. Listen to me. You and I are invited to the king's table every single day. I love what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to saints. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. any man would open the door i'll come in and we'll sit and dine together in fellowship and god invites us every day to his table but you see so many of us we feel so unworthy we so we feel so unworthy to come into the presence of god on a daily basis but david said you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, all of us are Mephibosheth. And the truth is, we couldn't get ourselves to the table, (laughs) but God sent the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit. We're lame. We're broken. We're wounded. And the truth is, God sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit took us and carried us to the Lord's table. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. And it says, and Mephibosheth, he sat at the Lord's table all the days of his life, but he was yet lame. Listen to me, look at me right now. See, as long as he was sitting at the Lord's table, You couldn't see his feet because he was covered by the Lord's table. Friend, I want to tell you, you're covered. Hallelujah. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're covered by the grace of Jesus. You're covered by the power of God. Hallelujah. You might feel shameful, but you're covered. God always covers you. Hallelujah. I'm covered, glory to God, by the blood of Jesus today. So we can come today, right now. You can come into the very presence of God. But it's not just for today. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me In my Father's house. There are many mansions. There are many dining rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going away to prepare a table for you. I'm going away to prepare a table for you and for you and for you and for you that are watching. I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am you might be also. In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, we'll be changed, transformed, and raptured into the very presence of God. And the Bible says we'll be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, what God has done for us. You, my friend, I am Mephibosheth. He is the king. By grace, he has redeemed us. By grace, he has rescued us. By grace, he has passed us from death to life. And he is restoring us on a daily basis. And he invites us to sit at his table. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I am a Mephibosheth. I am lame. I am broken. I am shameful, but I come into your presence today and I bow before you and you lift me up and say, no, Stephen, you're not lame. You're not broken. You're not shameful. You are my son. <laughs> and I restored to you the inheritance. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ and you get to sit at my table forever.